0: Hey there, it's Kate Scott, host of a new podcast called The Update, with our aim being to get you up to date, get it, on the most interesting Bay Area sports stories of the moment and beyond, from interviews with the folks at the heart of those stories. It's quick, 20 minutes or less, comes out three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and it's there in time for your morning commute. So check it out on Apple Podcasts or the athletic app. It's called The Update, hosted by me, Kate Scott. Hope to talk to you again real soon.
1: You got to get a you got to get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. I don't kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm
2: just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win.
1: You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Wynn only on the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: Welcome, 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 as always, everybody to the Run the Film podcast here. On the Athletic Podcast Network, I'm Kirk Morrison alongside my buddy Ted Nguyen. And we've got a, what we call, I guess, NFC Championship, an AFC Championship edition coming up this week. As we preview the NFC, AFC Championship games and we review the divisional games of last week, we'll have the Ringers, Robert Mays, he'll join us in just a little bit. But first, the news and notes of this week. Um, Ted, let's, let's start with the new head coach. Of the Cleveland Browns, right? You got it, Kevin Stefanski, the offensive coordinator of the Minnesota Vikings. Even though the Vikings locks, and we'll get into that in just a little bit, but he becomes the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. What's your take, and what do you think he brings to the table offensively for what Baker Mayfield and his team has right now?
1: Well, as as far as offensively, I, I think that type of offense really fits his skill set. You know, with the the bootlegs and I think he'll bring in some RPOs. Um, and I just, I really love that outside zone type of offense for Baker Mayfield. And I, I think it works out. But as as far as pedigree, um, it, it's hard. To, you know, like, I don't know much about the guy uh, other than he was the offensive creator for one year. I know he has good rep around the league. But, I mean, what do you think about his? pedigree I mean do you do you see him as a head coach and do you think his resume kind of uh, kind of fits what you're looking for in a head coach
2: that's always the the tough part right because when I think of a head coach and you know Ted I just came back from one of those coaching conferences right Um, and so the one thing that I always look for is is what kind of culture is he going to bring all right that that's the number one thing um, it's something I just kind of learned over the last couple days, being around a lot of head coaches. And the one thing that we I think sometimes we fail to remember or we fail to forget, I guess, is that so many New England Patriots, staffers, or coaches are usually hired around the National Football League. And Ted, the reason why they're hired is a lot of times not because they're X's and O's traits it's because they've been around a winning culture. They've been around a culture that has shown and been proven to produce winners, right? And people want that. They're attracted to that, right? They're like, man, you've made money with that organization. Come over here and make me some money. Bring that stuff over here. And so I think that's where the Cleveland Browns have been trying to figure out who's a guy that we can bring in. Maybe it's the honor Jimmy Haslam saying, I got to bring in a, a guy who's, who, who fits the culture, who wants to change the culture, right? And if you think about some of the previous hires, is Fr- was Freddie Kitchens going to change that culture? No. Was Hugh Jackson going to change that culture? Not necessarily because he didn't come from that pedigree. He didn't come from that winning culture. So when you just look at just some of the past coaches uh, over the last couple, last couple for the Cleveland Browns, I don't know if they were getting somebody who they really trusted – in terms of changing the whole thing around now, Kevin Stefanski, is he a little bit different? All right, he comes from obviously the Minnesota Vikings, and they've had a culture of definitely winning. They've had a definitely a culture of hard nosed, um, uh, you know, kind of a, a hard a hard nose coaching style from Mike Zimmer. But he's been he he was there for so long, so he doesn't know anything different, right? He was with the He's been with the Minnesota Vikings since 2006, Ted. So he's seen the ups and the downs, but do we generally say that the Minnesota Vikings have a winning culture? Oh, no, they have a good culture. They win game, but they are up and down. They don't have that same consistency. So hopefully that's not too long of a rant because I, I literally, I just don't know what he's going to bring to this position Ted.
1: Yeah. And another area of concern was that they pretty much took Josh McDaniels out of the running for being a head coach there because they they he wouldn't kind of adhere to what they wanted as far as uh, Jim Haslam and Paul Dave Podesta and you know they they wanted a guy that would fall in line with some of their beliefs and the way they do things uh, and they even want Stefanski to present them with their game plan and have their approval uh, reported by Dustin Fox uh, before games and to me that's kind of problematic. Uh, yeah, especially because they don't they haven't won. So the way they've done things haven't worked. And plus why would you present a game plan that's full of Xs and Os to two guys that don't understand Xs and Os and have to get their approval for it? So so those things make me kind of wonder whether this is going things going to work out.
2: Yeah, I, that's I'm just going to I'm going to taper my expectations right now, you know. I, I just don't want to put anything out there just because in remember his expertise is supposed to be what as offensive coordinator. And yet he's been doing it for less than two seasons. So now you go from being, and it's almost going down the same road as Freddie kitchens, except he's coming more from a culture that has been the underdog that have done less. I mean, done more with less right at the quarterback position and not necessarily recently. Cause they got Kirk cousins, but you know, it was part of what they had case Keenum and things like that. So, you know am am i all am i giddy about it probably not but hey that's where cleveland is and this is why they're continually in the same cycle year after year but you know we, a little bit of college football all right, I know this is the about our NFL, which we love so much, but if we run the film back on Monday night's national championship game, I think a lot of us had to look in preview about a guy who we think is going to be in the National Football League as the number one overall pick in Joe Burrow, the quarterback of LSU, probably the best, I guess, year of any college football player ever, I would say, in terms of the production, the Heisman Trophy, the national championship. He did everything. I had a chance to have his first game this season, Ted. So week one versus Georgia Southern, sat down with the kid, and I actually had him a year prior too as well when he first transferred over to LSU. So to watch and see how he's grown just as a player, because you know his junior year or his first year at LSU, completely different offense. Then they changed all the way completely, introduced more NFL concepts, With Joe Brady as their offensive uh, assistant now, and he just looks like the number one overall pick, right? He's from the state of Ohio. Cincinnati Bengals, the number one overall pick. To me, I think that he's gotten better each and every time that I've seen him, Ted. It's hard for me if I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan that I want this guy to be my quarterback
1: yeah i agree i think that he made some huge strides not just because you know just because system change i think um i read a story about him really working on his technique and his arm strength because watching him his first year at lsu i I was really concerned with his arm strength and his ability to make all the throws and this year you know he he, he still doesn't have the strongest arm but he definitely passes that threshold as far as making all that all throws and then Every other area of quarterbacking, he's so strong in as far as his accuracy, his ball placement, his reads, his toughness, uh, and, and he could run too. I mean, there were times where he was running away from some some top tier Clemson defenders in that game, uh, and he just has such strong pocket presence that you know he to me he he is a sure, sure surefire number one pick, and I, I really can't wait to see what he he does in the NFL. Yeah, I think so too. I think when you look at
2: the, the the crop of quarterbacks that are coming out in this draft, Ted, and that's something we're going to get a chance to analyze this off With you know now you got Joe Burrow, we know Tua Tagovailoa, who also announced that he's going to be coming out in this draft. We know Jake Fromm is going to be out. Jacob Eason from Washington's coming out. You've got a ton of quarterbacks that are going to have to be evaluated, but we've seen in the NFL if you've got the potential. Remember, it was in 2018, right? Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen. And everybody kept saying, oh, man, these guys are going to sit the entire year. This is going to sit in there in red shirt and and we don't want to play them. And literally all five of them (laughs) played. It felt like right after like the fifth or sixth week. So um, I think we're going to see this crop of quarterbacks um, just depends on how many I think go in the first round or just even get drafted in the first couple rounds. I think we may see a boatload of quarterbacks with the opportunity to go play right away.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a quarterback driven league and you know, nobody has patience to develop anymore.
2: Now here joining us on the Run the Film podcast, a friend of ours, the NFL writer for The Ringer, Robert Mays, joins us. And And look, Robert, I, we, we wanted to review the games. We want, we'd want rather do it with you and get another voice in here. So it, it was kind of a crazy weekend, uh, and it started that way on Saturday. And then Sunday kind of rolled in, and we kind of expected a couple of the games the way they went. But I guess... I, The game that I want to start with, obviously, is going to be the 49ers and the Vikings first.
1: We had a goal going into this game. We thought the team that got over 30 runs would win this game, and we truly look at that as a team goal. And we ended up getting 47 on offense, and it's a lot easier to do when the other team goes 2 of 12 on third down, and I think we were at 45%. I think they only ended up being able to get 10, and um, when you just see the way the defense is playing, it makes it so much easier to stay with that. and think our whole team kind of fed off it. Of.
2: We have, you know, one of the best defenses in football. You know, I think our past defense is, is the best since 2009 or something, the lowest number, you know what I mean? And people just keep disrespecting us. And at the end of the day, all you can do is go out there and impose your will and execute. And that's what our D-line and our, our secondary and our linebackers were able to do. Our offense did a great job of scoring points um, and taking advantage of the opportunities. The number one seed in the NFC on Saturday, we kind of knew that, hey, the 49ers – how good are they, right? Could they handle having a bye? Could they handle uh, Jimmy Garoppolo in his first playoff game? Right? All the factors for San Francisco. And we just saw Minnesota go on the road, beat New Orleans. You know, Kirk Cousins kind of exercising his demons. And so we knew the matchup was going to be an interesting one. But at the end of the day, the 49ers just overwhelmed them. They won 27-10. What was the biggest thing that stuck out to you, Robert, when you watched this game?
0: I just loved how the 49ers had a way to find offense that wasn't a passing game funneled through George Kittle. That's my favorite thing about watching Kyle Shanahan try to solve problems is that he eventually finds solutions. And I went back and watched that game a little bit yesterday. And what struck me is just how diversified, how deceptive and how creative their running game is when they need to lean on it. I mean, you just have so many different types of schemes. You know, we think about Shanahan, and you really just consider, you know, this is an outside zone heavy play action team. But then you go back and you watch some of the stuff they're doing, and they're lining up in split backs with Kyle Uzcheck and and, uh, and a running back back there, and they're running, you know, gap and power plays out of those schemes. They're running all sorts of stuff with, you know, different sorts of ghost motions and everything else to help out his players. It just, I love watching him have to figure out a football game and i think that against this Vikings defense that's not always an easy task and he did it relatively easily
1: yeah and and, uh, one thing that's underrated is how they keep finding these players to replace their their injured players like weston richburg their big money center went down and ben garland was a big part of why they're able to run some of those gap scheme runs he was Pretty dominating at, at center, and then you know you have Dre Greenlaw replacing Quan Alexander. Uh, I mean, he you know Quan was back, but then Greenlaw had a pretty good game too. Um, another, you know, when we were we were watching, you talked a lot about how they use a lot of split backs and their run game was so strong. What do you think about the, the Vikings playing so much too deep against um, you know 21 personnel and uh, playing too deep against that San Francisco uh, running attack?
0: It's so interesting because it's kind of, in a way, what New England did early on against the Titans, right? Where you have this really run-heavy team, but it seems like they're more afraid of getting gashed by the play-action stuff than they are about letting a team just line up and run the ball against them, which I can understand. You know, I think you'd rather die six yards at a time than let a team rip off huge games against you. But over time, they're just going to bleed it out. And that's exactly what the 49ers did. And I think what you said about the, those guys coming in in situations is so right. And then it's getting folded into what they do, right? Like Raheem Mostert was not supposed to be a focal point of this running game coming into the season. But injuries give him a role, and he's really taken it and ran with it. And I think that it's really given their skill position players especially such a variety They have just so many different types of guys who do different things well. It just seems like they can come at you from like 20 different angles.
2: No, Robert, I'm right with you. And and it's crazy to think that you mentioned Raheem Mostert, but obviously Tevin Coleman was a big part of the game plan. We know George Kittle each and every week is a part of the game plan. But to me, and this is what we previewed last week, was that Debo Samuel and Emmanuel Sanders, I just felt like they were going to have big games and then all of a sudden you get into the game and then all of a sudden it's 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 a Kendrick Bourne right it's it's someone else it's it's not the guys who you expect and it just goes to show you how many guys on that roster that I feel like when if you dress you are going to be a part of the game plan and that's just not what a lot of other teams in the national football league can present each and every week it reminds me of the Saints right. where
0: any single person on the field can be a threat to make a play at any time because I I talked to Luke McCown about this when I wrote about Breeze and uh, Sean Payton a couple weeks ago. And he told me that the Saints are just going to do on offense what makes sense. They're not going to do something that's harder than it needs to be. And that's kind of where the Niners seem to be as well. They're just going to do whatever makes sense when it comes to moving the ball. And it doesn't matter who the ball is going to. Ted, have you talked to Kyle about Kendrick Bourne? It seems like he has a soft spot for Kendrick Bourne. Every time he does something, I'm like, (laughs) this is a, a big moment for Kyle Shanahan.
1: Yeah, no, I haven't talked to him directly about Kendrick Bourne, but he has talked a lot about Kendrick Bourne uh, just having a strong camp. And we've heard it, bef- you know, in years, a uh, year before that, but he didn't really come out. But Bourne, he's making big plays and big moments. And um, what's interesting is the the, the guy that the, the Niners coaches talked about most during offseason was Trent Taylor. But, you know, he he's been injured. So it'll be interesting to see what they could do when they actually have him back in the lineup. Uh, but th- just moving towards the, the Vikings, uh, what do you think about their outlook? You know, because they have a they're supposed to be a strong defensive team, but it just doesn't seem like they can stop any of these elite offenses. And it just seems like their offensive line just always lets them down in these uh, these big games. What do you think about their outlook moving forward? I think it's going to be tough
0: because for the most part in the NFL right now, it's hard to be in cap trouble. You know, the cap has gone up so fast over the last several years. That most teams have money to work with. And I think the Vikings will be able to free some of that up. You know, Xavier Rhodes is not going to be on the roster next year, if I had to make a bet, just because the cost benefit is not there. But this is still a team that has put in a lot of financial commitment to a lot of different players. So I think the roster is gonna look different. I think a lot of some of the higher profile, higher price guys are going to be gone and they're going to need to retool. I'll be curious to see what the secondary looks like next season, because Mackenzie Alexander's if I believe alexander's a free agent i might be wrong about that but i know that trey wayne's is a free agent and rose is probably going to be gone so you're looking at pretty much an entire overhaul on that side the offensive line the frustrating part about that group is they spent money there and it didn't work you know reef just got absolutely worked over by bosa during that game and that was supposed to be a huge pickup for them so They're in transition. You know, this is a group that we've kind of expected the status quo from for the last several years. A lot of the faces have been the same. And I don't think that will be the case next year. And even beyond the personnel, you move into the coaching staff, who's going to call plays for this team next year? I would assume that Zimmer is going to go to Gary Kubiak and ask him first, but I'm not sure that's a role that Gary Kubiak wants to take. (laughs)
2: <laughs> the Ringers, NFL writer Robert Mays joining the Run the Film podcast here, Kirk Morrison, Ted Nguyen. And uh last question before we move over to the uh, the other game that we had last Saturday. Um so the the final, I would say four or five games for the 49ers this year, they didn't look defensively. There's something was missing, right? We just we couldn't figure it out. Like what was missing? And then Saturday, you know, it was we, we figured it out. It was D Ford. It was their offseason acquisition of number 55, and the pass rush just looked different. It looked how it looked in the first part of the season, and it really made this team look complete defensively. I think it's, it's D
0: Ford and it's other guys. It's getting Jaquiski Tart back. It's stuff like that where it's just, you have at every level of the defense, people, I mean, Kirk, you know this. And Quan, yeah. Quan comes is, back too. Uh, it's yeah. And it's like in Quan too. Yeah, and that was even a surprise. I, I wasn't even considering him because they didn't have him for most of the season. Right. But you know, this defenses are such. It, if you take one piece out, it makes the other pieces around it weaker. It's not just about having one guy in there. These are complete units that work in concert with one another. So when you put a piece like a Jaquiski Tart back into the, into the lineup, then you, everybody else in the secondary gets better. You have a sense for guys it just it becomes when you it's uh, uh, the sum is greater the 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 whole is greater than some of the parts. I mean that's exactly what it is. So I think that was the biggest thing we saw is that this is the unit we watched dominate people for the first chunk of the season.
2: It's crazy to think, man, that when you watch that forty nine ers team, they're kind of what we saw for the most part of the season. We saw that in their game last week. I mean in in the divisional round. Now when we shift over to the number one seed in the AFC. We did not see what we saw for at least the last 14 weeks of the season when they just won 10 games, plus games in a row with the Baltimore Ravens and the Tennessee Titans going into Baltimore and winning that game. I thought that players understood the scheme, some of the keys of trying to stop him. I and mean, you saw where he gained yards, they were getting him
0: into the, between the hashes and the numbers. And when we defended you know, from number to number and made them go laterally, they weren't big plays. And then we were able to get some stops. and could have been a lot better if we were able to get them off the field on some of those third and long situations, but we didn't, and, and we played great red zone defense. Disappointed that we didn't play the kind of football we need to play to win the game. Uh, that'll, that'll stick with us for a long time, uh, but we'll move forward from here. I thought our guys practiced really hard and did the best they could, uh, but we didn't play a sharp football game for sure. What you attribute that to, I guess you can theorize
2: on a lot of different things. Uh, i just throw it right to you, Robert, and say, what did we miss? Like, How did this happen? I think the margins are slimmer
0: than people are giving it credit for. You know, this is a team that moved the ball extremely well. I think that for the most part, their offense was frustrated in small ways that it hadn't been all season, but it still moved the ball pretty well. I think the difference was twofold. One, you don't get those high leverage fourth down plays that you've gotten all year. And I still think you go for those every time. That's who this team was. It just didn't work out this time around. Two, turning the ball over. You know, unlucky tip. Great play on the sideline. They made Lamar throw the ball outside the numbers, and I think that that is where the Ravens are weakest offensively, and I think that was a really good game plan. But I also think that even though the score wasn't close, this is a totally traditional playoff game where three, four, five, six plays just swing the entire thing, and it can get out of hand really in a hurry.
1: Yeah, I mean, after watching the film, I thought Jackson actually played a pretty good game, particularly in the first half. He made some mistakes in the third quarter, but, I mean, he suffered from a, a couple big drops, like that Andrews drop that turned to a pick, like you mentioned, and that Seth Roberts drop, I, I think that could have been a touchdown if he caught that pass because there was really nobody behind him. Uh, so, I mean, what did you see from Jackson, and did you come away more encouraged from his performance about his outlook, or, or did you think he played a bad game?
0: I think he played fine. I, I mean, he wasn't the world-changing force that he's been a lot this season, but I think he played just fine. I don't come away from that game thinking, oh, wow, someone solved Lamar Jackson. This is over now. I think if the Ravens run it back next year, they're going to be a pretty darn good football team. The, the problem was I think that the complexion of the game was different than other games they played too. You know, so often this year, they've been in front. They've been crushing teams. And it's forced other teams to throw all the time. And when you have a defense like that that's blitzing on 45% of their dropbacks and that has a secondary like that, that's exactly the type of game they want to play. They don't want to be playing from behind where they can give the ball to Derrick Henry 30 times and that offensive line can start pushing around a front seven that's not the most talented part of this roster. So I think that just the script of it all and the tiny moments didn't go the Ravens way like it has so many times this year
2: you know Robert you mentioned free agency for the Minnesota Vikings they're going to make some decisions but I look at the Tennessee Titans they're in the AFC championship game and they still have a big decision at some point whether it's after these championship game weekend or even after the Super Bowl what do they do with Ryan Tannehill and I know he hasn't put up the gaudy numbers right the numbers that wake you go wow they've got a franchise guy but man has he given this football team stability at the quarterback position we saw him make some plays with his legs uh, against the Ravens but they're like a, they're like a completely different team where does Tennessee go from here regardless if they make it to the Super Bowl or not I think when it comes purely to resources I would probably
0: give him something in the Jacoby percent range okay I'm sure he's going to want more than that, but that's what I would try to do if I were Tennessee. I I think that a one-year franchise tag is pretty steep. I'm not sure if you'd want to commit those that kind of resources to a guy for a single year only to lose him. So I think that trying to cover yourself and giving him something more like a two-year deal with a good chunk of it guaranteed may be the safer option. I, I think that by giving him that rather than franchising him, you know this, when you franchise a guy or you give a guy a slightly long-term deal, it sends a message to the locker room. I think that giving him an actual contract rather than giving him the tag and letting people know this is the guy kind of locks in this version of your team. And I think this version of the Titans can be pretty good. This is a team with $60 million in cap space next year. And I think that they can add a couple pieces. And I think that Tannehill has really unlocked who they want to be offensively.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that, the Titans, they're going to have to pass against the, you know, the, the Chiefs, obviously. They can't, I don't think they could stick with this formula of passing under 100 yards and uh, you know, running Henry so much against the Chiefs, obviously, because we saw what they did. Uh, do you think Tannehill could, could carry this team past the Chiefs if he has to with his arm?
0: I think he can make those plays. I mean, we saw it last time they played against the Chiefs. I, I think the Ryan Tannehill stuff that's kind of crept over, over the last two weeks is so silly to me. I mean, I wrote after they beat the Ravens that it was the most important move any team made this offseason, trading for him. It saved their entire season and it showed that it was a roster worth saving. Even if he's not doing anything right now, he was the most efficient quarterback in football for the final 10 games of the year. This is a passing game that can find that gear if necessary. I mean, I love the pieces, I love the scheme. You know me, Ted, if the team's using play action on like 40% of their dropbacks, <laughs> and that's like the, the bulk of their passing game, and that's exactly what it's made up of, that's what I want to see. I mean, this is the type of offense I love watching, not when they run the ball 30 times a game, but when they're doing hard play action on first down, they're taking shots, they're getting the ball in A.J. Brown's hands, and I just think that Tannehill is the right guy to facilitate all of that, even if he's not a superstar every week.
2: The Ringers, Robert Mays, joining us here. And I'm just going to shift to the divisional round game in the AFC, the other one, right? Houston, Kansas City.
1: When you're down 24-0, you know, if you don't have a good locker room, things can go the wrong way for you. And the guys all hung together. And uh, we've talked about the strength of it, and they uh, did a great job, along with our fans. I thought our fans were tremendous. So uh, nobody – Nobody out there gave up, and they all stayed and uh, cheered us on. The biggest thing that I think I was preaching to the team was, let's go do something
0: special. Uh, let's go do something special. Everybody's already counting us out. Uh, let's just go play by play and just put our best effort out there. And, uh, I mean, obviously I knew our, uh, as a team we had to kind of – everything had to go the right way, but I thought the defense stepped up, special teams stepped up. O- offensively, we started making the plays we weren't making. And uh, play by play, we just chipped away at that lead and then got the half and, and came out the second half and kept firing.
2: We saw the lead Houston had, and all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes, the Kansas City Chiefs team, that offense, it takes off. They score 50-plus points. Was it more of Houston lost the game, or just Patrick Mahomes and the better team won in that matchup?
0: I just think that the Texans weren't equipped to deal with that Chiefs offense. I think they looked at some of the teams that had success for most of the season. They said, oh, well, Mahomes hasn't been great against man coverage this year, so we're going to play a lot of man coverage. And – That works when Mahomes is slightly hurt and your defensive backs aren't the Texans' defensive backs. It's just lining up in that and just playing man all the time against that team when Andy Reid essentially knows what's coming and their players are better than yours, it's not really going to work out for you, especially when you can't get after the quarterback. That's the biggest thing. When When you look at the Colts game, things like that, they were really able to get after Mahomes on the inside, in the interior, one, because he was a little banged up, and two, because the Chiefs were injured on the interior of their offensive line. Ture had a huge game for Indianapolis, that kind of stuff. It's, the Texans don't have that. I mean, Watt is not 100%. Mitchell Schwartz had an incredible game plan against him. And if you're not going to pressure Mahomes and you're going to sit there and man coverage, him and Andy Reid are just going to slice
1: and dice you to death.
0: I can't, even, I can't remember an NFL team making it look easier than the Chiefs did on Sunday
1: yeah that was pretty much leading to my next question too is like you know obviously the numbers kind of show that the the Chiefs uh kind of struggle against man coverage and I think that's a reason why the Texans decided to play so much man coverage but the problem is they just don't have the DBs to run with these Chiefs wide receivers and on top of that like you said they weren't they, they just didn't want to blitz him and they couldn't pressure him you know in hindsight if you were Romeo Cornell what would you have done differently
0: Oh, I have no idea. I mean, if, if, we had, if I had that answer, I'd be an NFL defensive coordinator. I just know that at a certain point, you can't just sit there and man anymore. You have to do something yeah. a little bit different, whether it's trying to roll your safeties a little bit more than you are, trying to just play a little bit more match stuff. Because, they, you, I mean, I'm, I don't know if you've watched all 22, Ted, but just think about how many switches and picks and things like that that the Chiefs ran, mm-hmm. even that Damian Williams touchdown is a little bit of a switch with Kelsey sitting there in the slot at the original uh, outside of the play. I mean, they just had guys running into traffic so often, and when your players are worse and you're getting out schemed, I mean that's how a blowout happens, and that's exactly what went down.
2: Yep. Yeah, and then you know moving on to the final game um, of the weekend of the divisional round, look, Russ Russell Wilson and and Aaron Rodgers, we watched that game, we knew that two of the better quarterbacks in the NFL were going to go at it.
1: I think it's how we've found a way all year long. We just stick together and battle, and like I said, it's not always pretty, but uh, all that matters is you come out on top at the end, and our guys continue to find a way in those those high-pressure situations they don't
2: blink. there was not a guy on that sidelines that we were connected to that thought we weren't going to win that football game and all the way till we didn't and uh that is what this thing has felt like the whole time the whole year and it's an amazing uh chemistry it's an amazing group and the leadership bobby and kj and and russ and just the kind of stuff that
1: these guys are made of we're still terribly disappointed because we should still be playing
2: and at the end of the day i feel like sometimes we pass over aaron Rodgers as good as he is And then he reminds us of the kind of quarterback that he is and those couple third-down conversions at the end of the game when Russell Wilson is waiting to get the football back, and I'm wanting to get him the football back. I wanted to see, can he get it done? But Aaron Rodgers said no to that. And so at the end of the day, what's your biggest takeaway between Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers and where this team is at now heading into the NFC Championship game?
0: I thought it was such a perfect playoff game. Because I think that there's been so much commentary about Aaron Rodgers this year, about is Aaron Rodgers still the same guy, this and that. He's not. Aaron Rodgers is not Aaron Rodgers anymore. He's not the Aaron Rodgers that was just destroying teams in 2011 or 2014 or when he was the best player in the world by far. That's not who he is anymore. But the playoffs are self-contained, one-week games where you just need to find ways to win. And it often comes down to, like we said about the Ravens, three, four, five, six moments. And I trust Aaron Rodgers to find some of those moments. And that's exactly what he and Matt Lafleur did on Sunday. You know, you look at those first two Devontae Adams touchdowns. Those are scheme touchdowns. Devontae Adams is a fantastic player, but they had those from the outset. From the jump, those were going to be huge plays. The first was that, like, fake rub route on the left side where Rodgers actually suggested that to Lafleur on Monday just because they thought it was a tendency breaker they could get something off of. It was a wide-open touchdown. The second Devontae one was a fake over route that is just such a staple of that offense out of those heavy personnel packages on early downs that you just assume he's running across the field, he breaks back. Devontae Adams is a great player, but a lot of guys would be able to get open on those plays just by virtue of the structure of the defense. So I thought it was an awesome day from Lafleur in that regard. And then shoot, Rogers made a bunch of throws, but the one that still I don't understand is the one he made to Graham on that third down coming out of the half right before the Devontae Adams touchdown, where if they had gone three and out, the Seahawks are coming down and make it 21-17. And I still don't understand how he completed it or why he put the trajectory out of it that he did. He is able to do one or two of those every single week, and I think that's what makes this team dangerous. Even when they've struggled, I would love to talk to anyone that would that wanted to see Aaron Rodgers in January because I guarantee you you don't.
1: Yeah, and the analytics analytics community does. You know, they talk a lot about how Green Bay is overrated, and they have a lot of uh, numbers to show that you know maybe Green Bay might have lucked themselves into thirteen and three. Do you buy that argument? And I, I think you kind of answered this before. Do you think they pose a threat against the Niners?
0: I buy that argument. I think if they were not as efficient or as dominant as a 13 and three team typically is. But when it comes down to it, man, it's three games to the Super Bowl or two games. If you get the buy, it just doesn't matter. It just, can you put together the games to get you there? I don't think the Packers are as good as the 49ers, but I think that I was just thinking about this this morning, actually, when you just consider the talent on the Packers team. And I know that this isn't how football works, but you have a Devonte Adams, you have an Aaron Rodgers. So Darius Smith is probably the most dominant defensive player in the NFL right now. He can completely take over a game on his own. And if you're just playing in the margins, it just seems like even if they aren't as complete as the Niners are, they have a team that can stick with the Niners. I don't think they're going to win. I think that the Niners have really done a great job against teams that run that kind of Shanahanian scheme. They have a good sense of how to defend it. But I still think that with the talent Green
2: Bay has, they absolutely have a puncher's chance. Man, always a pleasure. Appreciate the time, Robert, the, F, the writer for The Ringer. He's Robert Mays, and he joined us, man. Appreciate the time, man. Catch up with you soon. Thanks, Robert. Anytime, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Oh, man, thanks again to Robert Mays of The Ringer, man. <laughs> it's great stuff to hear from him. and It's always good to get different perspectives, too, Ted. And But – We do come to the point where now we got to preview these championship games. And let's start with the AFC first. The AFC will be up first. Their game, obviously, the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Tennessee Titans. Kansas City at home again, right, at home hosting this championship game. Big-time opponent coming in. You know they're gonna to try to control the ball, control the clock, really limit our offense. You know, possessing the ball. So um, it's a big challenge for us next week, especially to, to get off to a way better start. We love it. We want to be the underdogs throughout the whole way. That's all we want. It. What
1: does it feel
2: like? It feels like we let everybody know what we're here for. We let everybody know that. We let everybody know who we is. We establishing our identity and uh, that's the attitude that we got. Facing the Tennessee Titans team that you know, no no one expects there. I was in Nashville earlier this week, right? And Ted, everybody's like just finally getting on board with Nashville, with 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 the, with the, with the Titans, right? Like literally because they had no idea what they had throughout the season because of what happened with Marcus Mariota. Then Tannehill took over, and then kind of the way that they kind of got into the playoffs, it wasn't like they won out, out. You know, it was the Texans allowing them, you know, kind of to win because they sat some players. And people weren't on board. Even when they went into New England, they won and they opened eyeballs. But I think the win against Baltimore really opened the the eyes of everyone in the city, has opened the people's eyes in the NFL. And you have to give them, I guess, a, a good chance to go in the Arrowhead and win this game. But if they're going to win this game, Ted, what do they have to do in order to beat the Kansas City Chiefs?
1: They have to be able to defend <laughs> defend Patrick Mahomes. I mean, mm. I I was one of the guys who really did not give him a chance against the Ravens. I, I thought they had a, a chance against New England, uh, but I thought they were going to go in and get incinerated by um, the Ravens. But they they you know they beat them pretty handily. And um, I mean, like Mays talked about, there there were five or six plays that really swung the game. But you got to give Credit to the Titans for making those plays, and man, Derrick Henry just looks like you know you can't tackle the guy. I mean, the problem is when when you load the box against Derrick Henry and he gets past that first level, he's he could outrun the defense, and Mm -hmm. uh, we we saw that time in and time in again. He had two of the best um, two, you know, he had the best two game stretch of any running back ever in the playoffs. Uh, and, and he's going against a Chiefs run defense that's not that good. And uh, we'll see if Chris Jones can play. I think he'll be able to play. He wasn't able to play the last game, uh, the, the nose t- uh, defensive tackle for the, the Chiefs. And he'll he'll be a huge key in, in stopping uh, the, the run game. Uh, but, I mean, so the, the Tennessee Titans' pass defense, were, they were 18th in pass defense DV, DVOA in the regular season. And they shut down Tom Brady. And they, they really didn't shut down Lamar Jackson, I felt like. I, I felt like uh, Jackson actually had a pretty decent game. There's just some bad tips. They did a good job of pressuring Jackson. Um, so, but the key will be, can those defensive backs run with the Kansas City wide receivers? What do you think?
2: Well, I know one thing is that they got Lamar Jackson out of rhythm, right? Lamar is a great rhythm thrower, especially when they've got the running game going. And by me seeing that, you know, Mark Ingram was injured, it was going to be a difficult task. So now what does Mike Vrabel have against his old team, right? He's an old Kansas City Chief for the final parts of his career. And I think we all know that that defense of Tennessee has to stop Mahomes, like you just mentioned. And so the one thing that they cannot get going is allow the running game to start up because last week – that running game was just ineffective. Really, they didn't usually go to the run game because of what? They were down 24. So it basically turned into a seven-on-seven tournament, all right? And if I have – if I'm picking sides right now and we say, hey, a seven-on-seven tournament, pick any quarterback in the NFL, I would have to put – I think Patrick Mahomes is one of the, my top picks, if I can, <laughs> to take to any seven-on-seven tournament around the country just because of the way that he could throw the football – So how do they disrupt that, all right? How do they create pressure? And if, you know, when you look at their secondary, Logan Ryan and you throw a Dory Jackson, they have so many weapons, the Kansas City Chiefs, and I'm trying to figure out what's going to be the best situation for them. Is it playing zone, right? Or is it going to have, you know, Vicaro did a a tremendous job on the tight ends last week as well. Kevin Byard as well. So it's – it's fun to try to make up some of these matchups, right? Do they go a lot of cover one? Do they try to play more zone? Like, What's the, the, the game plan? Because I really thought that the safeties were going to get worked last week by the tight ends of the Baltimore Ravens, and that didn't happen. And so now can they find a way to to, to contain Travis Kelsey? Because we know they're going to move him around. The Kansas City Chiefs will.
1: Yeah, Kelsey's going to be a huge key, and we'll see whether that hamstring injury does – hamper him this game. I know he came back against, uh, he, he came back against the, um, the Ravens. Yeah. Not all the yeah, Texans. Yeah. The Texans. But I mean, you know, you, you don't know with the, with those hamstring injuries it's you, you really don't know how it's going to heal. Um, I mean, have you had experience with hamstring injuries before?
2: Yeah, I have. Um, There's some that are mild and there are some that are, you know, the major ones. Um, the thing is they can do some things to get him through a game um, which is I, I've actually seen guys have an artificial hamstring, if that makes any sense to it. But literally putting uh, a ton of bandages on them and in a uh, a rubber band type of uh, material and attaching, I would say, about mid, uh, I would say yeah probably like mid-calf, and it goes all the way up to right below, I would say, um, right, right, right below your butt cheek. If that makes sense, but it doesn't allow the leg to fully extend. So you're, it's like the leg is like permanently bent. But I've seen guys play with hamstrings like that, and and they're effective. You just don't have the full range of motion. But sometimes guys are just like, okay, I don't have the full range of motion. I can't open up, but I'm still effective in short. And uh, you know, on on the short quick throws right and i think that's where kelsey can be right in the small area right and that's where he's really going to work maybe it's going to be zero to 15 where he can really dominate that but he may not have the big play ability where he gets down the field and get behind a corner or a safety or if they put a linebacker on him so that's going to be the scary part for him is trying to figure out how much can he do and how much uh, how far can he go and if they're able to get something going with McCole Hardman and, and Tyreek Hill, I think that's also going to be huge. But the one thing that at Tennessee can hope to try to get, and this is how they win games, it's the special teams, right? Tyreek Hill got a little, you know, too uh, uh, too comfortable last week. Dropped him off the punt, and that was um, they recovered. Uh, the Houston Texans recovered. It was just those little plays in a game in which can swing them. Now, Kansas City got one as well, but Tennessee, this is how they win, right? They want to muddy you up. They want to make it a physical football game. That's how they're going to do it. They want to dictate the terms of this football game. And I'm wondering, can the Kansas City Chiefs defense hold up to that, right? I know Terrell Suggs can still hold the edge, but can the other, can those linebackers, can they hold up? against trying to tackle, like you mentioned, a guy like Derrick Henry if he gets to the second and third
1: level. Yeah, that's gonna. I mean, he had, I, I believe, he had 188 yards rushing when they played against the, the um, Titans in the regular season. And, yeah, I, I don't know. I really don't think the Chiefs can stop Derrick Henry. But, I mean, the thing is, will it matter if Mahomes is just, you know, he's hundred percent healthy now and he's throwing bombs. He had a pretty good game against uh, the Titans too, but they were in Tennessee. Um, So it's going to be tough. Yeah. And then I think in this game,
2: the one guy who has kind of, you know, shown to, I guess, be the leader of this team over the last 10 weeks, right. has been Ryan Tannehill and Ryan Tannehill to me, Ted, is doing just enough, right? He's playing with great poise because he's not throwing for a ton of yards, right? You know, in the wild card round, he threw for 70 yards. And then last week versus Baltimore, he throws for 88 yards and two touchdowns. And he also ran one in as well. But he's not being asked to have to go win the game. And that's what concerns me if I'm a Tennessee fan is that if Patrick Mahomes goes up two or three scores and now we're going to ask Ryan Tannehill, hey, bring us back, right? And you got to find ways to get the ball down the field. And if Kansas City's playing that defense where they're just sitting back in coverage and waiting for you to throw, that's going to be tough for him to find some windows. And now you got the pass rush, right? Frank Clark coming down. Now Terrell Suggs coming down, breathing down your neck. And you mentioned it, Chris Jones. Now if he's healthy, now that pass rush is caving in. That's what I think, if I'm Tennessee, I'd be scared about, is that if trying to play from behind, they played well ahead over the last couple of weeks, but if they get down and they get behind, how do they handle it? How do they come back? How do they find the offense when running the football may not be available to them?
1: Yeah, and I think it will come down to Ryan Tannehill because, I mean, the Chiefs are going to score points, and... Uh, I, I think the last couple of weeks, the the Titans were trying to protect Tannehill because they, they knew he wasn't great against the Blitz. And obviously, the, the, the Patriots and Ravens are two of the most heavy blitzing teams in the league. The Chiefs don't blitz as much. And I think that this will be the game where they, they have to unleash Tannehill. And we'll see if he could perform and, and put some... Because he, he did have stretches during the season where he put up some pretty gaudy passing numbers. So he's not just... He, you know, he just... He's not just a game manager. He's shown that he can be an explosive passer. And if he could do this in this big of a moment, then I, you pretty much got to sign him. Like, if, if he if he comes out and passes for, like, 300 yards for a touchdown, <laughs> right. you, you should give him a contract right there.
2: Yeah, so Jonu Smith, A.J. Brown, Raymond, Pruitt, I mean, they're going to have some guys they're going to throw the ball to. and uh, If they, like you mentioned, they win this game, you got to give him nothing but total props. And I think on the Kansas City side, um you know, for them it's just gonna be how can they dictate can they start fast? Last week did not start fast, and I don't know if this is the team you want to go down to. I feel like they do have an identity. The Tennessee Titans do that. If they go up like you know, Houston went up in the divisional round, I don't know if Kansas City can come back from that because we saw even against the Baltimore Ravens, they were running the clock down to within five seconds every time that they snapped the football, just shortening up the game, not allowing them to have the opportunity to make plays and get back out on the field. And I think that's going to be the one thing that I'll be watching. But if I have to predict this game, which I'm going to give you my score, um, I just don't see Kansas city losing this game. They're playing this game again, the AFC championship game at home. So the fans remember last year, where nothing is ever, ever guaranteed or nothing is ever finished. They thought they had the game and there was the d Ford offside penalty where they thought they had beaten the Patriots. They didn't. The Patriots even drove down and won the game in overtime after scoring late in the fourth quarter to get the game into overtime. And so I think this fan base senses it. And a lot of guys on this team remember from last year that they didn't get the job done in the fourth quarter. And they know how they got to play they have to play for forty. I mean, for sixty minutes, four quarters. They have to do it. So I'm choosing the Kansas City Chiefs to win this game, and I think it's more of a game of 31-13. I think that's they're gonna put a ton of points up, and I'm not sure that Tannehill and that offense gets more than thirteen points.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I picked against the Titans uh, last week, but you know, I'm gonna have to do it again. I, I got the Chiefs winning. <laughs> I'll say I'll say thirty-five to twenty-one. I I think they could score twenty points.
2: Yeah, I I, I mean they they're, they're going to we know they're going to score like Kansas City's going to score, but Tennessee I just have no idea. I'm still yeah. <laughs> scratching my head a little bit on how they're going to be able to score a ton of points. So uh, that's the AFC matchup, and I think the the uh, the main event the of the, if you want to see the two matchups, the main event would definitely have to be the second matchup, the NFC Championship game. The Green Bay Packers, they travel back to the Bay Area to take on the San Francisco 49ers. It's a rematch of the game earlier in the season in which Green Bay literally just did not show up. 49ers just ran all over them
1: will be different. I mean, that game got away from them early, and um, that's definitely not the team we're going to see this week. I mean, everyone knows how good Green Bay is, um, how good their coaching staff is, how good their players are, how good their quarterback is. I don't think they've lost a game since then. So, I mean, I think that game really holds zero relevance in what's going to happen this Sunday. They're a great football team, have a great front. Obviously, get after the passer and excellent uh, pass rush. Really good on the back end, smart. They play the time clock of the, of the pass rush really well. Obviously, their offense has a number of uh, studs. You know, Jimmy's had a really nice season and got a, a bunch of backs who've had uh, really good years. The rookie receiver is a very good player. Obviously, picking up Emmanuel was a nice pickup, and then, you know, you got the tight end. So, one of those games where we, we know every possession is going to be really important and it's going to be loud. This is where it gets really fun. There's only four teams left, and we're one of them, and we got a legitimate chance.
2: But I think it's a little bit different now, right? This is for all the marbles. This is... I guess a lot of times – earlier in the year it was kind of had said that they didn't really get up for the game or the travels, just things. They had so many excuses. There is no excuse now. And so I'm trying to – as I'll evaluate this game before it happens. For you, Ted, I'll start with Green Bay. What does Green Bay have to do against this 49ers defense if they want to be successful?
1: They have to – do whatever it takes to slow down the pass rush. So, that, you know, hard count. Aaron Rodgers is great at the hard count. They have to use a lot of hard count. They have to do things like run screens, uh, maybe put some draws draws in the uh, the game plan. Uh, but right now, I mean, that pass rush for the Niners, especially with D Ford back, like you mentioned with Robert Mays, they just look way too good right now for any, any offensive line to handle. I mean, the, the Packers have a good offensive line, and they're, they're going to get healthy. Uh, for this game, but um, it's still a daunting task, and you have to just do whatever it takes to slow down this pass rush a little bit. And I I think the first time that they played in the regular season when the Niners trounced him, um, Rogers held the ball too much. There was some opportunities he could have taken that that might not have gotten big chunk yards, but he has to stay in rhythm, and uh, he can't get sacked five times again like he did in that first matchup. Uh, but Rodgers has to play in schedule and on third those third downs when he has to make plays yeah you get extend those plays but on those early downs just take what they give you and uh, don't get uh don't get fall into that trap of those getting falling to getting too many negative yards yeah uh, that's
2: interesting that you Bruno you know, brought that up to start that this defensive line for the 49ers just looks like what we saw in the beginning of the season and it looks scary when they can bring you know guys in, in waves at you and they line up on different sides and you don't know where Bosa's lining up, where Ford's lining up. Are they on the same side in Armstead and in Buckner, right? And then what they do in the run game as well. And so to me, it's like you mentioned Aaron Rodgers, but he's on the road. So how does he dictate the snap count? How does he try to slow them up, right? Right. And then having Quan Alexander back, which I didn't expect him to play as much as he did the week prior. I mean, the divisional round. But he, along with Fred Warner, I really thought when those two were healthy, they were the best tandem linebackers in the National Football League. And now they're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with Aaron Jones. But I have total confidence that they can cover Aaron Jones, right? They can be in phase. They can take Aaron Jones out of the game. And now you're forcing – you know, Aaron Rodgers to have to, and I said it last week, they got to find somebody outside of Devontae Adams, right? Jimmy Graham is, is a possession receiver. He is not going to run behind you, he's not running away from you. He's a possession receiver. And so, who's going to be the next guy that can step up and make the play? Right. That's where if I'm Green Bay, I'm going to need someone outside of Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams to make a play. So whether it's Geronimo Allison, whereas Valdez Scantlin, you know, Kumaro, whoever, someone else has to make a play or plays throughout this game because right now the 49ers defense at front that's just getting too much pressure. And Richard Sherman is pattern reading everything, right? He, uh, if anybody's benefiting the most of this, his defensive line being intact is Richard Sherman, because he's jumping any route zero to 15, like easily. Cause he knows the ball has got to come out quick. And that's why he got an interception last week. I think we could see the, the same this week. And that's why he's going to be in tri- He's going to be in shotgun a lot of this game. Aaron Rodgers will be. So it'll be interesting. The game plan they have against this 49ers defense.
1: Yeah. And I think that um, one thing they can get the Niners on is Richard Sherman doesn't really move around a lot. So correct, you could, and they they do the Packers do move Devonte Adams around everywhere. So they can get the matchup they want. Obviously, you know, if they're moving Adams away from Sherman, they're probably going to double uh, Devonte Adams. So you, Adam Lazard, Alan Lazard, the the second receiver who has stepped up for the Packers recently, has to have a big game. Um, And and you're right. I think that they want to be under center more and they they want to run that Shanahan style of offense because Lafleur is a a disciple of Shanahan. Correct. Uh, But I think this is a game where they have to kind of go back to what they've uh, done in the past with letting Aaron Rodgers go in a shotgun and go more no huddle to try to tire this defensive line out and let them kind of have controls at the off the line. I just, I don't see the Packers being able to beat the Niners in a box. And if they just condensed to have too many condensed formations and uh, try to bring everything inside, I just don't know if they can match up with the Niners that way.
2: Is it Emmanuel Mosley or a Keller Witherspoon, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. We kind of seen that matchup. And I think Robert Sala's seen that matchup too many times and they've pulled Witherspoon and just allowed Emmanuel Mosley to go in. Like you mentioned, I'm going after the corner opposite Richard Sherman and see what if I can get something, see if I could force some coverage uh, to that side and maybe get a one on one on Richard Sherman's side, maybe. But it's still something that I would look into uh, uh, throughout the game because that's kind of maybe the only weakness right now on this 49ers defense.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, So, I mean, I think they'll try to double Adam if Adams moves to Mosley or Witherspoon's side. They'll probably try to double him with the safety. And, you know, you're you're probably going to need somebody to really step up in the slot. Right. Uh, you know, I don't know who that's going to be K-1. for the Packers. Oh, okay. Yeah, K-1 going to be the nickel. But mm-hmm. I, for the Packers, I wonder who that guy will be. Jimmy matchup for make, him. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, Jimmy Graham made some big plays um, against the Seahawks. But, you know, we'll see if he can do it again. He's been kind of inconsistent. So, uh, just a really tough matchup for the Packers, uh, but it's hard to count Aaron Rodgers out.
2: Mm. 49ers offensively, um, Jimmy Garoppolo, right? This is a big game for him. And, you know, a lot of times everybody's saying, hey, Jimmy hasn't won a game yet. Jimmy hasn't won a game or his defense is winning this game. Jimmy Garoppolo against the Vikings threw for 131 yards, right, and had an interception. So everyone's saying that Jimmy's not necessarily pulling his weight, right? And that's what we do as critic as critics, right? The players feed into it. Like, man, Jimmy's our guy. He's our quarterback. We wouldn't be here without him. Yeah. But as analysts, as we look at the game, it's like his what he's doing is not necessarily like winning the game for you. The defense is giving the ball back and they're running the football well and he's, you know, just converting here and there. He only completed eleven passes last week. And they still won convincingly. If Jimmy Garoppolo gets into a shootout with Aaron Rodgers, is that a good thing or a bad thing for the 49ers? Because I think for me right now, it may be a bad thing because I want to see what his decision-making will look like when the game's on the line because we didn't get those opportunities too often. Maybe just the one game um, against Seattle, which I think they got bailed out at the end by a call. And then he made a nice completion on a uh, was that a I think it was a third or fourth down to, to George Kittle against New Orleans. So now we want to see is can you do that in the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I think that's that would be Green Bay's best chance at beating the Niners if they put Garoppolo in that situation. Uh, but the problem it, it's hard to stop all of the Niners' uh, other you know the, the run game, their screen game. And all these other easy passes and make Garoppolo into a, a drop back passer It's tough to do that. And you know, even when you do that, th- there are times when Garoppolo gets really hot and he lo- he looks like a, you know an elite quarterback at times too. So you know, that's one of the reasons why this Niners team's so tough to stop because they they just have different guys step up in different areas. It seems like every week. And but again, that your best chance is to get Garoppolo into a shootout mode and see if he's going to make that big mistake.
2: Question for you. If there was a tackle, you wanted to help more in this game. Would it be Staley or McGlinchey? Because we saw Zadarius Smith and we saw Preston Smith. Both these guys have look off season free agent acquisitions for the green Bay Packers who have stepped up throughout the season. They stepped up right now. And, who of the tackles do you think will probably need more of help to stop these dynamic pass rushers?
1: Uh, I would say probably McGlinchey. I think Staley is starting to look more like the Staley we know. Okay. Uh, but McGlinchey is still young, and he, he could struggle with some speed. Uh, so I, I would say McGlinchey probably would need a little more help.
2: Got you. Okay. Just because I'm looking at – just different matchups that can probably be advantageous for that, you know, that Green Bay Packers defense. Because the 49ers offense we know is is the juggernaut. And Debo Samuel, we saw him get a couple plays and ignite, really wake up this offense. Emmanuel Sanders, I think he's gonna have a big breakout game as well, cause he needs it. So when I'm looking at the 49ers offensively versus the Green Bay Packers defense and Jimmy Garoppolo if the packers are able to stop the run, right, and put jimmy to have to throw the ball 30 35 times, that's where i think that they lose this game. But i'm going to have to choose this game, Ted, and this is difficult. It really is, and i'm trying to keep this from being emotional. Uh, but you know, so far that we've seen, it's always been one upset each weekend but i don't think it's going to happen in this championship round weekend <laughs> i got to go with the san francisco 49ers winning this football game and getting into the super bowl and i really believe we got a chiefs 49ers super bowl which would you know be pretty highly rated cuz we got some good looking quarterbacks the guys who, who are you know definitely leaders on their team they can sling it but then they also have you know some outstanding i i think complementary players around them that can turn this game into an old-fashioned track meet. So I'm going San Francisco. I think that they win this game 37-31. Uh, 37-31.
1: 30, oh, you got a shootout. Uh, uh-huh. I, I think I'll, I'm going to go with the Niners. I'm going to say 28-21. Mm-hmm
2: got to throw some field goals in there, man. That's why I always <laughs> like, throw some field goals. Robbie Gold is going to get his opportunities, right? Mason Crosby will have about a couple opportunities. But, um, yeah, I think that for the most part, I give the 49ers just a slight advantage. I think special teams-wise, they're about as equal. But the 49ers just have a little bit slight more advantage in winning this game. But it's like we wouldn't be surprised if Aaron Rodgers plays out of his mind. And the Green Bay Packers win this football game and go to the Super Bowl. But that's why we got to watch the games, Ted. Yep. (laughs) All good, man. Well, that's been our preview for the NFC, the AFC Championship Weekend. As always, this has been Run the Film on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Kirk Morrison for Ted win. We catch y'all later, everybody. Peace out.